Welcome to the Hammer and Quill, a Bonhoeffer House podcast exploring the good, the true, and the beautiful in the lives and vocations of interesting people. This is episode six, an interview with Reed Monahan. What's up, Reed? How's it going, fellas? Good to be on the, the Hammer and Quill. And Michael? Thanks for bringing lunch, bro. Oh, yeah. Hey, we're up. My debacle. (laughs) Lunch debacle. Lunch in the time of coronavirus is not always easy to pick up. No. You got to download apps. Download apps and interact with robots. Yeah. You can't just call anymore, can you? I tried. Yeah. I tried to call and and talked to a human. Actually, I talked to multiple humans. And they were like, like, hey, talk to the robot. we actually can't take your order. You got to like log, like hang up and and download the app were you like hey but you're right there <laughs> i can just tell i can just say it really quick and then you can make it <laughs> oh well thanks anyway for bringing lunch we're out here in beautiful blacksburg virginia at the power of change worldwide shed quarters global shed quarters uh reed thanks for opening up the place to us bro oh it's good to have you guys and we are in our six foot triangle configuration are. to please my wife and uh, public health concerns. And we couldn't even hit each other with a sneeze, even if we, <laughs> even if we aimed. <laughs> I've got my mini uh, hand sanitizer in my pocket, so I can feel uh, like if I go anywhere, you need to get a holster for that. Wow. <laughs> guys, he really does. He yeah, just really, pulled it just out. Pulled I really it do. When I go, I do all the grocery shopping in my family because I have life insurance. Um, <laughs> And that's a jo- that's a joke my kids don't like anymore. Like, Dad, stop saying that. Nobody's you know. So I'm like, well, you know, just just in case. And uh, when I get home, though, my wife literally makes me strip everything down, take a shower, get fumigated. It's so unbelievable. Mm, but uh, sprays it down. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's living the life. Well, we're we're thankful that you've opened the shed up to us. And uh, you know, typically, Reed Reed and I are we. We're co-hosts. I mean, Reed, you're the main host. That's okay, though. I love it. I love being your co-host on the Gospel Underground, our podcast uh, that is that, that is really exploring culture and uh, living in the borderlands between the culture and church. And uh, and and oftentimes, Reed will uh, will give a kind of um, wardrobe update. <laughs> oh yeah. And so we're turning the tables here. Reed, you're looking very nice today. You've got a lot of UNC Tar Heels gear on. You got the hat on and the shirt on because you went to UNC, right? I did, and uh, it's a really good color. Uh, Michael Jordan's uh, on a runaway success, 30 for 30, uh, the last dance. So he did go to uh, UNC Chapel Hill, as did I, as did my wife, and I've got a UNC wrestling shirt on. You got it all on, man. You wrestled? uh, yeah, I, I you're a wrestler. I was a wrestler. <laughs> the North Carolina kids that were, you know, walk-ons on our team, were like, do you wrestle? You do them chicken bone moves. And we're like, wow. And then all the jer- all the Jersey guys on scholarship were like, hey, what's he talking about? <laughs> oh man. Well, you're looking good in the uh, in the Carolina blue. I'm wearing a hat because my hair is getting very. Uh, oh, uh, you got yeah. the you quarantine got the, hair. Yeah. Quarantine hair. Yeah. Can't can't get a haircut. Haven't gotten the buzz from my wife yet. You've gotten the tightened up look though so uh I, you know you guys what are cutting hair i cut my own hair uh, always and forever Al- always always and then i have my wife uh tighten it up same yeah yeah but your hair is long yeah do, do you even do anything well we did we did uh we we have already cut the sides once okay and and emily cleaned up the top a little bit but it just grows fast yeah that's great yeah that's great so uh haven't <laughs> done it not i mean i guess it does i don't oh, know yeah <laughs> it grows fine it's not fast also, or slow also no shoes no shoes here for reed yeah um, and rocking the socks that's because uh, i wanted to keep the mud and the tracks out of the oh shed course, oh but, our, you know, our bad yeah okay. we're, i'll we're, clean up after you guys <laughs> <laughs> we didn't realize bro yeah. okay i wore my <laughs> dirty work boots <laughs> Uh, it's just a shed quarters. Wear your dirty work boots. That's right. I'll I'll, I'll release the Roomba in the the shed quarters uh, later. Now, Reed, I saw you were smoking some pork loin this week. How was that? You know, my kids they like pork tenderloins, the little skinny ones, yeah. and then the pork loins, the little fatter, long longer ones. They like that as much as anything I cook, and so even as much as the pulled pork. The yeah, shoulder. pulled pork takes ten hours. The pork loin takes about three hours, and so it's a uh, trade. I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna follow your lead. Hey, 
Hey, the sliced pork loin sandwich I had the other day with some high-end barbecue sauce and mayonnaise. I love mayonnaise on sandwiches. You hate mayo, you wouldn't like this. But I slobbed that thing together, and it was amazing. I'm going to be doing that many, many mm, days in the future, mm, Lord willing. Mm. And you can go find Reed on social media somewhere, Instagram, if you yeah, want. Reed S. Monahan, meat smoking pictures. Yeah, <laughs> if, you want to see, if you want to see an occasional picture of Reed's family yeah. or many pictures of smoked meat, and uh, how he's eating them? Yeah, the occasional Bible verse. Yeah, occasional. Yeah. Oh, today there's a Bible there's verse. A Bible verse. Yes. Artfully done, hopefully. Yeah, artfully done Bible verse. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thanks for joining us, Reed, here on the Hammer and Quill. And really, you know, this podcast we're we're still starting it up. This is episode six, and we're really all about uh, really exploring in people's vocations, which is what they're called to do. Uh, you know, vocation comes from the Latin vocare, which just means to call. And so, uh, so vocation is whatever someone is called to do, whatever God has called them in their life, their family, their location, their place, their purpose, their work. And, and w- what we're trying to do is explore the good, the true, and the beautiful. Uh, essentially, turn our attention together on your life, Reed, so that we can see what's good. <laughs> so true hopefully, and you can find something of that genre. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's yes. some other genres I think play. play well, 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 we're going to leave those out, right? <laughs> okay. Because there's so, we, we get enough uh, we get enough ugliness. Uh, in, in our cultural moment, everywhere we look, everywhere we look, we, we get a lot of malformative and, uh, and not good, true, and beautiful things coming our way. And so we wanna, we're, we're kind of pursuing this Philippians 4.8 vision of whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. Think on those things. So we want we, 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 we to practice stopping and looking. We just want to stop and look at, at really today at your life, Reed. And, uh, and at your vocation and just see what's good, true, and beautiful about it. Um, maybe in particular, your work, your friendships, your practices. Uh, we want to know some tips and tricks. You can teach us how to be better today at things. The things awesome. that, yeah, the things that now, now maybe we'll, maybe wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe I could get you and Michael to wrestle and you could show us some moves. You, you up for that, Michael? Uh, that sounds bad. <laughs> That's going to be a no. Both, both because of the uh, oh, coronavirus. Know, coronavirus. We would never do that. But, but mainly because of my own pride. That's right. That's I right. I don't want to get destroyed. Well, I wouldn't film it. <laughs> very much. Very For very long. Yeah, just a short. Well, Reed, we wanted to have, we wanted to have Reed on here because... We think Reed, you know, first of all, you're a friend, and Reed's a member of our church, a friend of mine, friend of ours, uh, has been a friend of the Bonhoeffer House, serving us in many, many ways, uh, and really, I think, exemplifies a kind of um, a leadership that isn't always uh, above ground. Uh, so what I mean by that is even in, in the podcast that Reed and I do that he started was uh, this idea of uh, the undergroundness, the hiddenness, the hiddenness of influence. Uh, Reed, you're a leader, you're a content producer, you're a writer, you're making videos, you're a preacher, a speaker, a coach, a dad, a husband, a wrestler, and, and <laughs> Co- a wrestling coach, a wrestling coach. And in, and in so many of those things, you are, uh, you're intentionally underground, right? You've, you've, you're, you're here in Blacksburg. Uh, we want to dig in, find out why, find out how. So, so Reed, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, now, you grew up the same kind of same era as me, so surely you had baseball cards. Yes, I've seen these things. You've seen them. Okay, yeah. so what would be on the back of your baseball card? What are your vital stats? Yeah, Reed Monahan, five foot seven, uh, short, thick, and square, uh, <laughs> as my wife would describe. Um, she, cute and short and thick and square is what she would call me. Um, on the back of my baseball card, I would say um, found by Jesus uh, as a young man. Um, friends with my wife, um, known by my kids. Those are probably my top three uh, values. Um, even in a time of transition, I was like, yeah, you know what I want for the rest of my life. I want to remain a believer until I'm dead and risen again. I want my wife to know me. I want my kids to know me well. And so that's what would be on it. Um, I have a, a set of eclectic interests, I guess, uh, in terms of vocation. Um, I care about people and culture, understanding who Jesus is, what he's done, and helping churches do that well. Um, I've been a pastor, 12 years a pastor, uh, eight years a uh, campus minister prior to that, and then um, now I kind of 
straddle those worlds. I do uh, my ministry, Power of Change, we support uh, and strengthen local churches. So I do lots of trainings with those who are kind of impacting the next generation. So I'll do parent training. I'll do dad men's retreats. I'll do shaping evangelistic cultures through the church training so that the next generation might know uh, Jesus. And I do speaking. I've done middle school event. That was scary. I've done some high school events. I do university speaking as well, just to share the gospel directly. And then we want to help the church thoughtfully engage. And that's, we're doing that primarily through our podcast today. So that's a little bit of my baseball card. Probably uh, need a baseball iPad size to say all that. You got a big card. baseball card. Yeah. <laughs> for, for such comic a, book. For such a yeah. short square, man. Yeah, yeah that's right. Back of that's a cereal right. box, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Comic the, the book. The 10 push up challenge on social media is not a thing for me. Uh, because you do so many. I do. That's one of the few things I still do is a lot of push-ups. Ah, so, I still do. Yeah. That keeps you nice and square. It does. It does. <laughs> and, uh, and I go on long, long walks so I can eat. <laughs> uh, uh, long walks, lots of push-ups. You know, yeah. you know, Reed, um, you said you were pastoring for 12 years. Uh, um, now, some of those years you were, you were also, you had planted a church, right? That's right. And where was that? We planted a church in Middlesex County, New Jersey, so North Brunswick Township, New Brunswick, kind of uh, 15 minutes north of Princeton, about five minutes from Rutgers University. Yeah, eight years spent in the Garden State doing church planting work there. With first one was called Jacob's Well. Yeah, it's still a, just celebrated ten years in 10 the fall, years. so they're going on eleven years old. That's great. And and uh, now you know uh, this didn't make your baseball card, which is which I understand. But I actually met you before uh, before any of that pastoral ministry. When when I was at Virginia Tech. When you were at Virginia yeah. Tech with Athletes in Action. That's right. And uh, you you were um, younger, but you were still square. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little, <laughs> little less thick. <laughs> uh, uh, mm. Yeah, I remember meeting you in uh, in in some um, somebody's living room for a day of prayer. And, uh, and then you left. I think that was right before you left to <laughs> yeah. go to Nashville. Mm. Yeah, we, we actually are back in Blacksburg after our first sojourn here. We lived here six years from 98 to 04 before kind of getting recruited by a mega church in Nashville Metro where we did four years there and then moved to, to the Northeast out of Nashville. Yeah, mm. I, got, I became a Christian through Athletes in Action, so I love that group, and I still do some work with yeah. that ministry. You know? So um, so tell us a little bit about uh, you're, you're, you've been in – um, vocational ministry full time for quite some time now. So going dating back to athletes in action, how many years is that? Uh, since ninety six. So many years. Yeah, it's almost concurrent with our marriage, which will be twenty four years this uh, May. Wow! Next, in a few weeks. Oh man! Yeah. What are you guys gonna do? Um, I don't stay in? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> order, watch, order watch something on Netflix and order, order some Outback food with Steakhouse a, with a robot app. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that's right down Reed's alley. Yeah, robot. you mean using robot? Yeah, but yeah. Reed, Reed, Reed will one day design his own robot. No, I'm trying to tell my kids they need to learn to design and control the robots. That's right. Um, it's going to be more crucial in their generation than ours. <laughs> yes, and and if your if your children are in charge of the robots, I feel better. That's yeah. right. And we'll rename Tommy John Connor when necessary. Oh, I got to stay one step ahead of Skynet now. Yeah, so 24 years. In, 24 years yeah. in ministry vocationally. When did you know that you were called? to that you know and how yeah the, my my calling to ministry was almost uh, concurrent with my conversion um when i became a believer it just seemed like i needed to tell other people of the gospel of grace and who jesus was and what he's done and so i became a christian while studying i was in a physics degree i finished with computer science but i was in physics did three years of a bs in physics then switched at unc and so i was not um a christian i wasn't looking for god and so when I be became a believer, it just was a natural thing for me to want to tell everybody on our team. We went from having one Christian on our team to about half our team was believers by the time through both recruiting and conversions. And and how much um, how much of that was? Uh, not to give you too much credit, yeah. but how much of that was connected to your work? Uh, uh, talking about a, Jesus, a, a lot, and but a lot of other guys. We had some okay. guys come in that were very good wrestlers who were believers. Okay, uh, from other places through recruitment, and then we we were just very outgoing and witnessing to our teammates. And uh, 
Yeah, and I was a leader in the sports campus ministry at the time, and and it was I got very into apologetics at the time because I didn't get converted through asking questions. I got converted through the work of God through the gospel, just directly. And then I had a lot of questions because my physics classmates were like into Eastern Kung Fu techniques and playing Dungeons and Dragons, and they were asking me like, "What are you doing with this Christianity thing? And is that your yin or your yang?" I was like, "Oh, what in the world?" So, and then my wrestling teammates <laughs> were kind of wild dudes, you know, they yeah. were just like fun wild dudes. And so, what do you mean you're you're not going to do this with me with women on Thursday night right. anymore. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm on my own on that. And so, um, we had, we had saw a really great turnaround by the time I was about to graduate my, my last year, we would have road trips on the wrestling team where our coach would jokingly put us together. I'm going to put you guys down there so you can have a revival kind of thing. We're like, you should come too, coach. It was like a mess. And he's a believer now, which is a shocking thing in the history of the world. Yeah, so that's where we started ministry, yeah. um, and it just made sense. My and my wife and I were involved in that. She transferred halfway through to a smaller school called Campbell University, right. where she was all South All American in soccer, and she started athletes in action on that campus with another weightlifting guy. Um, and so she was really experiencing God's grace and presence, and her ministering to to others on her campus. So for, so, for both of you guys in college, you're you're uh, you're not you're not in Bible school, but you're both. You're both experiencing um, leadership, uh, effectiveness, excitement yeah. uh, on two different campuses. Yeah, and it, and and for us, it was we. I I knew I was going to marry her very soon after I met her. She, how, she, how long did it take her to figure that uh, out? She took her a little longer. She had a boyfriend when I met her, so uh, uh, we had to take yeah. care care of that. And uh, you wrestle him? And for <laughs> no, there's some funny stories with that. But no, I did not wrestle him. He was it. He was actually in the army at the time. And uh, they kind of broke up, and he pulled the guy things like, "Oh, I'm just break up then." And she's like, "Okay." And then, uh, and then we started hanging out heavily. And I remember one time I was kind of over her dorm in the daytime, not you know, and uh, he he was showing up, and she's uh. like, "You got to get out of here." And I'm like, "Why?" She goes, "Just do it. He's gonna get angry. He's gonna want to fight you." And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> and she's like, she was like sneaking me down the back stairs of this dorm because she didn't want me to get in a fight with her boyfriend. And I wanted to tear him up. And that was a good thing. She did what she did. That was good. That's that amazing. Was good. <laughs> That's right. I don't care. I don't care what. She goes, no, he's in the army. He fights for a living. I was like, come on. <laughs> I, I handle, I'm a rascal. We handle our business. And, you know, so. uh, yes, yes. That was more for. So we knew to get. Yeah, we knew together that we, we wanted to minister to others. And to even when we were applying to Athletes in Action staff right out of college, you know, my dad wasn't a believer, so he's like, why are you going to raise money and be a professional beggar and work in campus ministry? Right. And I was like, well, it's not the way we see it. And so, but we we did, we did were asked the question, describe your calling to, I think it was crew, yeah. you know, the yeah. parent organization, describe your calling to be on staff. The crew. I was like, I don't know, I have a calling to Jesus and I want to be an, be an influence to others in the gospel. And it makes the most sense for us to do that with college athletes because that's our world. Right. And so we went, we went into that together, did two years at the university of Kentucky, which was uh, weird for UNC people. They worship basketball more than we do. Um, no wrestling team. Um, so we were there just actually just three semesters and then we we're sent to open up and start Virginia Tech Athletes in Action in 1998. So and we were both coaches. She coached women's soccer here. I coached wrestling for three years. Um, and so it was great insider stuff. Yeah. You know, you're hanging in the hallways with Frank Beamer and then and then starting an Athletes in Action meeting. People knew us first as coaches before they even That's knew. That's great. You know, kind of thing. That's great. And you're both now coaching again. Yes, my wife especially. She's a uh, state team coach for Team Virginia and uh, Virginia Youth Soccer Olympic Development Program. She's also coach of the uh, under, uh, 2004 Girls New River United team, and she's also assistant of the high school team, of which both our daughters play. And so, nice. Yeah. At Blacksburg. Now, At I, Blacksburg High, you didn't yeah. mention this, but I assume the highlight of her career was when she coached my kids for a week of uh, that's right two uh, two or three years ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we hit, we hired her and your daughters that's right uh, as, as a yeah, matter of yeah. fact uh tommy i think came out too but they, they as did, a camper probably yeah they did a little uh little soccer camp but that doesn't make her baseball card in which is fine <laughs> she she is a she is she you guys were good it was good for you to have her she's a fantastic yes. coach high demand because believe it or not even in the women's game there are less female coaches than male sure. coaches and so they like the ladies and she's i mean i want i love it that my kids she's obviously the mom of our our daughters but she's also coaching them and just a holistic life view she's a strong believer um, follows jesus in her coaching and yeah. just does a fantastic job yeah. Now, how, how important do you think it is, Reed, when you think about um, 
uh, vocational calling, calling into ministry in particular, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the idea of there being demonstrated excellence, like you're, you're actually good at it. Uh, how important do you think that is? Like you, so you, you, you hear about Jesus, you become a Christian, uh, you're excited to tell other people about it. You're not really necessarily thinking about it, all these frameworks about, am I going to give my life to this? And who yeah. you're just thinking, oh, I got to tell other people about this. Yeah. And then you go and do that. And there's this kind of, uh, momentum that's happening. There's responses, and then and then and then the same yeah. is happening with Casey. So so, how important do you think that is when you're considering your call? Well, I think anybody's calling should should be confirmed by others. I mean, um, in a better reality, you know, your your parents even looking at you as a kid growing up is important. We're certainly doing yeah. that with our our children, obviously. You'd make a great robot overlord. <laughs> yeah, overlord. yeah, Tommy, you would make a great John Connor. Um, so, so obviously, my dad was opposed to what I wanted to do, uh, literally opposed. Uh, so, but we had other people, mentors, folks that had uh, led campus ministries of which we were student leaders who were yeah. affirming those things. Yeah. And then in that in that kind of work, Jesse, as you're well aware, there's a certain reality. And I guess it's like anything in entrepreneurship. Somebody has to believe in you doing that thing for you to do that thing. Right. And so that takes place through fundraising and vision casting and, and you know a team of people being behind you, which for all 24 years at some point in life, we've had investors and people partnering with us in right. the various things that the Lord has set us to do. So I think that confirmation, if you have good local churches, people should confirm that. Pastors who know you have seen fruitfulness. And then obviously... Um, you know, somebody has fruitfulness in accounting or, or ditch digging or whatever it is, coaching sports. I think those kind of things need to be affirmed as well. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be the best in the world at whatever you do, but there should be, hey, this is a good spot for you right. in the kingdom. Yeah. Right. Like you, what you just described there uh, sounds like something that can be applied to any any particular calling. Yeah. Right. So uh, um, even, even the, even the idea of seeking your pastor or your church leaders counsel, um, would be good. Uh, but, but especially when you're thinking about the, if you feel called into, into the field of ministry, it would be seem, yeah. seem like you'd want to have some input from people that have experience. And, yeah. And there's people that want to, would want to debate, Hey, if a, a Christian engineer and a pastor, they have a vocational calling that's different, but it's every, there's no sacred secular divide on that. Uh, there is a per- peculiar calling in you know full-time Christian service or even pastoral ministry where you are speaking for and representing the kingdom in a specific way as under shepherds with a yeah. specific office in the church. And I do think that people who do that should uh, you know affirm and test that calling. I, I serve Acts 29 Church Planning Network in the work of assessment, and I tell all our team who assesses others that we're looking for three fits. The first fit is a fit for God's work. And that just is looking at qualifications in the pastoral epistles yeah, uh, in terms yeah. of character. That primarily is tested within local church communities. Mm. Uh, then we're also assessing for a fit for the work, the particular work of church planning and the necessary uh, competencies for that. And then finally, uh, a fit for us or fit for Acts 29. So I think that's a very important thing as kids grow up, if you're raising kids or if you're in a community and somebody aspires to do something, yeah. it should be tested and seen and affirmed. Otherwise, you know, I don't know. I've I've met a lot of people that hey go to seminary, but but not without a clear idea of what God has called them to do. That's good. That you know, uh, I was hoping to draw that out of you a little bit because your role running assessments and helping really lead the way in a lot of assessing of church planters, I think, has a lot to do with um, well, well, is an is a is a missed thing in Christian. Michael, correct me if I'm wrong. What do you think? Uh, and it, when I look at the Christian ministry, especially vocational ministry, uh, I just see guys who often will run through a sort of um, straight line from, oh, you, you're, you're helping with the youth, go to seminary, now you're a pastor. And nowhere along the way is anyone actually evaluating, are you good at this? Uh, do you have some of the characteristics or character qualities necessary baseline? Uh, wh- what, you know, where, where does your sense of... Um, uh, where, where does your talent match up with the need that, that's around you? One of the things totally. that's lacking in that path. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think I, I, two things come to mind for me. One, one is there's almost a like sense that that's wrong. Right, don't tell <laughs> me do, not to do this. Right, yeah. hey, this, the, God has given me this vision for my life that is noble 
And yeah. so why would you tell me not to do it? Right. Why, why would you assess it like that? Yeah. So there's, there's that, there's Who that do you going think on. You are? Right. <laughs> and then two, two, I think is just so, so that would be, you know, more, more specific to the church context. And then two, just in the broader context, it seems like the direction that the, the West is going is, is hyper individualism and, uh, yeah. Choose your own path. Yeah. Th- like putting self on the throne. And so when you're, te- when you are looking for external call, uh, to what you ought to do with your life, yeah. that's, that's bucking against a pretty strong current of culture that says, you can do whatever you want to do. Mm. Uh, you can be whoever you want to be. Just go get it. Just go get it. <laughs> so, yeah, this, uh, I've worked with a lot of young guys over the years that I've counseled into theological training and seminary. And a lot of times they're asking you questions on the front. I've had way more people. I mean, I can't count them anymore. Her finished seminary and I'm still not done. Lord willing. One day. Next one month. Day. Next month. Um, You're a month away from a 20-year degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 20-year MDiv. It's a Guinness Book of World <laughs> Records, I think. Uh, not all, every year, but here out, on and about over the course of those two decades. Um, one of the things that I've, I've asked guys, like, why do you want to get a seminary degree? Not, like this, the theological institutions will take your tuition. They'll take your money. You, you can go through, come out with it, be, in a, be an unemployed MDiv. Um, my, my thing with young guys is like, hey, why do you want to do it? If you want to get theological training, there's multiple paths. Uh, but the thing that I think the church needs to look at is, is this person effective at shepherding, leading, serving? Yeah. Do they have the right posture with other people? Do people respond to them? Um, cause it is a, it, he who desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Yeah. This is in the scripture. Um, so you don't want to tell it, oh, don't do that. We don't, we don't need any more pastors. Or, of course or we don't, do. Right. Or, or don't have ambition. That's right. Don't, that's right. don't, ha- don't have a drive right. to want to serve the Lord right. and serve his people that way that's as right. if that's a bad thing. hey Uh. <laughs> oh. I love that. This, We've got, happens when this we have is, popular this, guests. This does happen when we have popular guests, <laughs> yes. If you listen back to our interview with Karen Swallow Pryor, can't turn it off. <laughs> I've got six devices in she, front of me and something's she, ringing. Uh, uh, you know what? This, really this is going to go there's into a, the show notes. I'm going to take a picture. This will go in the show a notes. Camera, a, okay. a just a big <laughs> uh, computer screen. Then yeah, there's a, th- multiple iPads or that, that an iPad and a Surface. With all the settings I have <laughs> on my devices, that should not have happened. And I don't know why it did, but that was somebody calling. That's all right. That's right. So. Uh, <laughs> So let me, well, let me ask Reed, um, you know, related to this, uh, yeah, I guess how, how do you, how do you think the, the church can cultivate a, uh, a, a, an invitation to those, you know, those we're in particular, we are in college context. And so we've got guys and, and girls who are, are asking that question, what, what's next? What should I do with my life? And so how does the church cultivate like, Hey, we want to be a place that is a part of you answering that question. We want to help you to, to figure that out and, and, and determine that. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to be in a college town to college town context with Radford and Virginia tech, because you do want to see the next generation mobilized and equipped for kingdom kingdom influence. It's a great opportunity. Uh, One of the reasons why we moved back here, um, I think, you know, Jesus is teaching, I don't have chapter and verse in front of me, about being faithful with little, uh, so then he'll give us more to be faithful with much. I think that's a great principle with anything. And and I've described it over the years in training young men is like, if you if you look like an old Tecmo Bowl football game or where somebody has an activation circle around them when they have the ball or something in a video game where you're the characters running in a video game, um, it, young men and women need to take care of or steward or lead themselves, self-leadership, uh, discipline of leading the circle of it's them. So that means spiritual growth and discipline, getting up on time, coming to meetings on time, uh, taking care of your own life, right? You can't do that. Now, if if you grow in that, I tell young men this all the time, maybe you get to the point where you could steward a, a, a marriage, right? Where you could serve a woman and be 
helpful and responsible and not a knucklehead guy in the world that's doing some good and building a family. And then if you have kids, you then have the responsibilities of a father. Maybe you lead a community group or a small group in your church. Uh, then maybe you have the responsibility of being a deacon or serving a specific way tasked by elders. I think all of us need to own what's on our plate and where it is now and then trust others to uh, see and affirm our gifting. And look, I've never met a pastor that says, oh, don't lead people to Jesus or don't uh, read your Bible with others or help positive things that everybody wants to do in the church. So I tell young guys, hey, just do that well. Yeah. And when that happens, you know, you see it and, and it's acknowledged. The thing that's frustrating was like, oh, I, sh- I should be a pastor. And really what they want is they want to stand on a stage like their favorite Christian celebrity here. I want to be Matt Chandler. So I I need to be a pastor before I can have ministry and serve where you are, be faithful with little, and then God will give you more. And if not, be content, right? We have to be content. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, so talk a little bit more, Reed, about your current ministry. You mentioned this some in your baseball card background, back, you know, back (laughs) of the baseball card. Um, but, but tell us a little bit more about what you do with power of change. Yeah. Um, Power of Change came about when we were about to transition out of uh, leadership of Jacob's Well, the church we planted. We had started that church and helped, you know, about 10 others in New Jersey get off the ground and we're leading that network and helping immensely. That transition time was a scary thing for me. So I asked my father-in-law, who's really like a dad to me. Um, I asked one, a, a theologian who's a mentor, who was on our board when we planned. He's on the board of our ministry now. And I asked another older seasoned pastor, these three men. Sandy Young was the, the other guy. Yeah. Greg Allison, out. Sandy Young, and, and my father-in-law. How do you know when it's time to transition? And what do you see me doing long term? So the things that emerged from those discussions was, I need to serve young men in the next generation. Uh, I need to use the wisdom that God had given me in planting churches to help other church planters. Uh, And then I have a strong emphasis in evangelism undergirded by apologetics. And so, you know, most people would say, well, if you want to do stuff about being a dad, start a family ministry. Or if you want to do something like Robbie Zacharias, do one of those ministries. Or if you want to do something with church planting, work just in that. And sadly or happily, I don't even know. I have all these weird eclectic interests. And so we put a wrapper around those. And what so if I want to do them all. Yeah. What if I want to try to do them all poorly? You know? <laughs> and that, that's one of my biggest struggles. Cause like I do, I do men's retreats. I do parent conferences. Yeah. I work with men. I, I love that part of it. I train pastors. I, I have some active coaching with pastors. Um, and then I, I really want to keep speaking the gospel into the world in certain contexts. And so I am doing them all. I don't know if I probably could do them better if I focused more. It's always a challenge for me. Um, but Power of Change was the name of our uh, newsletter when, in 1996. It was the name of our website and blog forever. And so that was the most easily, quickly available name that made sense. The Power of Change lies with the power of God. And we wanted to impact and influence the coming generation and post-Christendom Western civilization. So that's where it all came out. And so that I, I, I used to travel and, and do equipping events at churches. Used to meaning before, before COVID-19. Before COVID-19. Yeah. Still uh, will again, God willing. Uh, yeah, like I, I came off a real uh, active, probably sweet spot time for me in January, February, in the beginning of March, where I did a little bit of all of that I just mentioned. You know, speaking at Ivy League, I did a uh, Ivy League schools. I did a really cool men's conference. I did some uh, Acts 29 stuff. Um and then it all came uh, crumbling to a halt. I canceled, I think, six or seven events right away. And hopefully in the future that'll be available. But if not, there's lots to do locally and then virtually and certainly in content production mm. uh, with our podcast and other things. Good, good. Now, um, Reed's a Swiss Army knife. Reed is a Swiss Army knife. It's a leadership development, next generation development, Swiss Army knife. That's mm. It's partially square, good it's for square. lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they made a square Swiss Army knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think you're more than mediocre, Reed, at all those things. Maybe even good. <laughs> we, we, we want to try to do our best. <laughs> yeah, maybe even good. No, yeah. you're good at those things, bro. Uh, hey, let me ask you. You've mentioned Acts 29 a couple times. You're working with Acts 29 uh, in, in, a, in some capacity. Um, tell give us, a, give us a brief history from... Uh, you've got kind of a lived history. You've been yeah. part of Acts 29 for quite some time since... Uh, Informally since 2005, formally since 2007. Acts 29 was founded, I think, in 2000 uh, by David Nicholas, a Spanish River Presbyterian, and Mark Driscoll as a partnership. Uh, I think Spanish River is in Boca Raton. He's passed away now. 
uh, but a, a very church that invested generously with resources and training to church planners. And then, and Mark at the time was just, you know, starting all kind of trouble, good and bad. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, five years into that is when I got connected with, in fact, one of the friends, one of friends of mine planted Mars Hill Church Seattle with Mark, okay. um, who was an Athletes in Action guy at the University of Wisconsin, uh, Washington, Washington, University of Washington. Okay. So I got exposed to it informally then, uh, and then formally when we were transitioning to plant out of our church that the elders there set us aside for church planting, examined yeah. our lives, and then we moved to the Northeast. And we were the first Acts 29 church plant in New Jersey. Were you? Um, okay. And then helped expand that, and that, that was a real honor How many are there in New Jersey now? Uh, I think 8, 9, 10, 11, something okay. like that. There was almost a dozen. A few dropped off. few came in since we left. Um, but yeah, about a dozen, I'd say. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and, and can, give us like, give, give our listeners a, uh, uh, maybe a 10,000 foot overview of, um, of, of some of the, some of the, the things that have led to where Acts 29 is now kind of, you know, what's the state of the, of the organization. And then maybe especially, what are you excited about in the future? So yeah. you're still, you're still locked and loaded with Acts 29. What are you excited about? I think, I think because Acts 29, obviously there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Acts 29 is the story of the church planting and multiplying on the earth. Uh, it was really a resurgence of two things, the, a theological vision, a certain kind of theology. Okay and a driven missiology. So for years, you know, say North American or Western Christianity would understand, hey, we're going to send missionaries to some country somewhere. And that in that, you would want to identify with people. You would want to incarnate there. You'd want to contextualize the gospel to speak to that local context. But nobody thought they had a context and a culture of their their own, say if they lived in Richmond or Seattle or San Francisco, whatever. Um, Acts 29 was part of the conversation that wanted to say, hey, we need to live missionary principles for the next generation here to see the gospel spread in North America. And that was those are some of the kind of con- convictions, reaching out without selling out, so to speak, and to have a certain conviction about the Bible and who Jesus is and take that to the streets where there's, you know, I, I came to Christ through a parachurch organization, and I always felt like, well, those are the folks really going after non-Christians right, and right. the church is throwing grass to sheep. Um, Acts 29 was a group of brothers that I found that really challenged that, that, hey, we can be, compassionate, compelled into the world for the sake of people outside of the church uh, while maintaining a, a robust ecclesial and theological identity. Now, to in, because it's a North, North American beginning, it's a global organization now. There's 800 or so churches around the world, literally in every continent, church planting churches that are theologically driven, culturally engaged, missionally innovative. Sometimes you just get known by big name people because American Christianity is a little bit drunk with celebrityism. So whoever's the loudest and has the biggest church kind of gets all the attention. So Acts 29, you know, people associate with leaders sometimes, which is a normal thing, I suppose. Yeah. But for me, in my perspective, uh, Acts 29 is a bunch of different uh, churches, men and women who love Jesus and, and have a certain view of the scriptures and a certain view of mission uh, who work together to do that. And so, you know, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, Darren Patrick, you know, names that, you know, writing books or whatever right. uh, have been some of the history uh, but the essence of it has been Christians who really say, hey, look, we're here for the sake of the gospel, gospel-centered ministry with lost people. And that's one of the reasons why I love the organization. Good, good. And uh, um, in this growth uh, over the past, uh, what is it, 20 years now, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah um, uh, to 800 churches in a global family, there's been some hiccups and there's been some bumps along the way. Uh, but you're you're excited for the direction. So tell, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm. Pers- what are you excited? I'm about? personally involved with Acts 29 because I want to be. Yeah. Um, I was founding this small organization called Power of Change, moving from New Jersey to Virginia, when one of my friends, who I asked a bunch of guys to say, "Hey, tell people I'm a decent human," and put put it on their website as a board of reference, so to speak, and uh, one of those guys was appointed a network director of Acts 29 in the middle of the country. And the day after I sent him the email, I was like, hey, do you want to work for Acts 29? I was like, well, I'm not moving to Texas. That's where this guy was. And uh, so he's like, well, hey, you can you see like, why not? Everybody, why not? Why? There's plenty of room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have brisket. <laughs> um, so he asked me to run assessments for the South Central Network. And I said yes to that. 
um, because I desire to stay connected to the the mission and movement of Acts 29. So I'm kind of part-time staff, I su- suppose. Yeah. Um, 25% of our ministry's budget is from that. So it's not something that we're dependent on or, so I have the, I have the choice to do and I do it. And the reason why is that I believe in our theological convictions, uh, the culture and flow of the men and women involved in Acts 29, they're my people. Um, and they still have this uh, edge to them. Now, some of the missteps along the way, you know, Acts 29, you know, had a reputation for arrogance uh, because it was a countercultural church within the church movement that said, hey, we're not going to be like these folks. We want to go do this. And uh, some of that arrogance that came out of, you know, a firebrand leader like Mark Driscoll right. was very polarizing. Um and the, the good thing is I've seen along the way that people were willing to speak to Mark about lack of humility or arrogance or whatever, and eventually remove Mark in, from the network, which is very difficult because that yeah. was done by friends, right? Um, so I think that's good. A lot of people just see the, you know, the, the hit bloggers that are saying, oh, look at these problems with people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I grew up outside of the church. I grew up with non-Christians. I've seen problems. People are like, oh, the church is terrible. The world's better. It's like, no, you didn't grow up in the world. You grew up Baptist or something, or you grew up in a Methodist (laughs) church, and you just think the church is bad. Um, I've seen the way people treat each other outside the church, and it's not some utopia. Um, So I think people pay attention to people's excesses or their sins or their faults, and and, you know everyone wants to focus on that. That's never been my focus. In fact, our hope was to see Mark repent of arrogance and change. Um, So that is part of our history, Um, and I I do think there's a certain type of personality uh, that will do risky things for the kingdom and believe that Um, you read some of the crazy stuff Martin Luther was about. There's just some nutty stuff. And I think, I think Mark had a little of that disease and maybe some things went to his head over time, Mm. you know, Mm. and I, for me, that's when he became more and more mainstream evangelical, you know, I want to kind of be the center of that world rather than just kind of, Say yeah. underground. Yeah, stay underground. <laughs> stay, yeah. say underground. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's talk about that idea of being underground. Um, you know, I mentioned this in the beginning that part of what I look up to in you, read and 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 uh, and um, it's inspiring to me is uh, really a shared value that we have of um, a lack of self promotion, maybe a intentional hiddenness. So that so that uh, so so talk a little bit about that. Like, why are you? Uh, why do you have a value of of remaining underground or not self promoting? Uh, what's challenging about that for you? Maybe what's easy about that? There might be some things that are easy about just uh, you know not self promoting. So talk about that a little bit. Well, there's a few reasons. Um, there's the the ideological ones, and then there's the practical ones. One of the reasons that, in terms of just thinking about the way and posture of Christian ministry is that we serve the one who was in the very nature of God and in humility took the form of a human and sacrificed his life and an ignominious kind of death on a cross, right? He said, you know, think not more of yourself, but consider others first. And so he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So our model quite literally is the greatest of the great taking the lowest low position on purpose, Mm. And, you know, as the Father sent him, so I send you, right? Jesus was sent to seek and to save that which was lost, to love and to serve others. Yeah, go and be famous. Not go and be famous, right? It just seems really incongruent um, with that. And so I think those, the model of Jesus himself should teach us that path. Um, Practically, I, I know my heart would love to seek glory, would love to be big time, would love to be the show, would love to be the center of attention. Uh, that comes from my sinful nature. And I don't know any other way to not follow that path than to intentionally not follow that path. Mm. And so there are paths uh, to being the center of things, even in so like so-called American Christian circles. I've seen them. I have friends that are in them. I've been up close to some of them. Uh, I've watched them take place. Um, and I would do that in a heartbeat myself unless I chose in- intentionally not to. So um, this is a quote from Francis Schaeffer from a, from a book called No Little People. He says this, this is the way of the Christian. He should choose the lesser place until God extrudes him into a position of more responsibility uh, and authority. 
And his motivation, obviously, to write this was the model of Jesus himself. And then he also wrote, Quietness and peace before God are more important than any influence a position may seem to give, for we must stay in step with God to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I think that's the conviction that that I, I share. I love this book for that reason. I had a friend of mine assigned us to a group of pastors to read this book, and I read this chapter, and I was like skipping around saying, this is so great mm. that someone is articulating this. But it's uh, it's hard to do that because we all like to be. It's a good thing for someone to recognize you, right? I think it's great for me to tell my children when they do something well and that I'm proud of them yeah. and I love yeah. what you're doing. Um, that's a temptation to want to get that uh, rather than in the old proverb, let another praise you and not your own lips, right? That's uh, that's a principle that I think I have to pray. And, and I have to tell myself this all the time because I've seen stuff I've written. I give away all my writing for free. Um, I've seen people take stuff from stuff I've written and shows up other places. And I was like, well, no, people are going to take advantage of you. If you put yourself in a position to serve and give stuff away, people will take from mm-hmm. you and not return. But it's still hard. I mean, you still feel like, hey, man, it'd be nice if Someone would pat you on the back yeah. or just give you high fives, but you're not looking for that, right? You, but you're looking for that, and you sh- that's the internal struggle and the difficulty of uh, yeah. How, how much of a struggle is that for you? Yeah, um, I think I think I like to be helpful. Yeah, and so I think if I'm you know feel like I could be helpful to something, and I'm in a context where you know, I'm not needed or wanted, that bothers me. Um, but again, that's the type of thing where you have to give that to the Lord and say, hey, look. This is where I am. I'm. I'm not. I'm not being asked to do something else. So I'll do this and try to do this well. Um, and I think there's a, a certain reality that allows you to radiate certain um, competencies or excellence that God would give you in, in areas. Again, go back to that. What's on your plate? What's not in, in your circle? Yeah. I think you know. I've I've got enough to do to repent of my sin and love my wife well. Amen. Uh, and enough to do you. to shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to shape. I mean, she's a godly woman. I'm a godly man. No. Um, to, and to shape my children, yeah. right? I've yeah. got an 18-year-old who's leaving my home, not permanently, but periodically to go to college yeah. here in the fall. I have a 16-year-old daughter coming behind her, and I have a son who'll be 14 in a few months. Um, I have a lot to do with my time, energy, creativity, and to invest in them. So not only that they just don't become a statistic of leaving the church, but so that they might be of influence for the kingdom of God yeah. in their families, in their circles, in their vocations. And so I think I got enough to do there. Um, and if that, if what I do there is useful or helpful to others, then, then I'll, I, I'm happy to share. That's good. So, so uh, let me ask one more question related to that. I love the idea of, of in a sense, being famous at home. <laughs> uh, you know, fame, fame meaning being known, being... Uh, um, yeah, being known, being being helpful in this, yeah. in that context, we get to be known by our children. Man. Yeah, what a unbelievable! We, like I don't think I knew my dad, you know, and uh, yeah, I think that's a wonderful thing. There's a there's you don't do it to get stuff, but there's a when my daughter puts long Instagram posts up on Father's Day and she talks about me, I just I just read that stuff and melt, man, because I have an honor to be in her heart and life. And God gave me that place. And I didn't want to jump out of that. Right. Yeah. It's uh it's, that's, uh, it's that's, be- that's better than a book deal. Yeah. Way better than a book deal. Yeah. I'm eternal too. So, so, uh, but help, help our listeners out and me help us out. Um, you know, so there's the, there's that sense of, um, being satisfied with what God has assigned us. Right. So, so much of, of this idea of, of hiddenness and of receiving a vocation rather than just creating a vocation, uh, is, is, is um, receiving the place and the people and the family and, and essentially saying God has given assigned certain things. This is, this is uh, what is that? First Corinthians seven. Uh, uh, rem- I, I ask you to remain where you have been placed, yeah. remain where you're, where you've been called. Um, how, do, so how do you balance that? And, um, and, and having a kind of ambitious uh, desire yeah. to serve God, maybe to expand and grow yeah. and build. And because um, clearly you're doing that, like you're, yeah. You're, you're building things. You're a yeah. builder. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so how do you how do you do the building, and do the the roots and the and the settling and the and not settling in a sense of um I'll settle for this, but settling in the sense of like settling your roots down deep and your yeah. family and I I think um I think Jesse that I want to just be very clear. I don't resent 
the path of others in any way. I think, you know, Matt Chandler's path or somebody, you know, Tim Keller's path, these are wonderful paths. In fact, Tim Keller didn't write publicly for 20, 30 years right. until you know, later. So I think there's wonderful, but so this is, this is what God has given me to do. Um, I'm very ambitious, man. I was a competitive athlete. I wanted to be the best. I want to be good at what I do. And so for me, I'm hopeful that influence can, you know, come through relationships and trust and not simply self-promotion. Um, that gets hard because, you know, I lead a small little nonprofit that's really based on what I do and my work. Yeah. And you, you want people to know about it. You don't want to get into self-promotion. Um, but yet, you know, it's a tension that I've experienced all the time. Mm. In fact, I need to get better at marketing without self-promotion. Um, and I need to get better at recovering some ambition. Um, Hi, I'm Reed Monahan. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suck. Can I come serve your I'm church? I'm not terrible, yeah. but just, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. So for me, word of mouth, <laughs> what other people say about you, your yeah. reputation, your character, your name, right? Let, good letting, worth, yeah. letting your work speak for itself rather yeah. than having to speak for your work. Yeah. I mean, I've even had conversations with people say, well, if you don't charge people to speak, they won't think you're good or they won't take it seriously. And I get that, man. Like, uh, but I, you know want yeah. to think that being good enough will be good enough. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, you know, uh, I get nervous. One of my probably chief sins is anxiety. Um, I get worried. I, I have a healthy concern and unhealthy worry that lives in me. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I want to, one of my biggest, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of us, yeah. Mike, Michael, especially. Oh, yeah, yeah. Michael, especially he, <laughs> he, uh, he looks afraid right now. Um, we, we, I think, yeah. So that's good to be amongst guys that yeah. can feel yeah. that. I mean, I, I get fearful. What, what if people stop calling me or yeah. stop, you know, yeah. zooming me or want me to do stuff? Yeah. Um, that's scary. Cause you know, I don't need a lot, but I like to, I think for me more than making a living, um, I'm trying to invest my life yeah. and I hope the Lord sees fit to continue to use me and the other people feel like it's a uh, worth worthy of partnership and time. Cause I, I do view what I do as uh, coming alongside and doing behind the scenes work with leaders as well as what they're doing, campus ministers, pastors, so that uh, I can be catalytic and yeah. come in and inspire the men of a church in a men's retreat and then bless the pastor while I'm eating meals with him in between. I'm, I'm thinking, how do I minister to the minister? Cause I've been in that shoes right. and I know how discouraging that place can be sometimes. So I want to come in, bless their men or bless the conference I'm doing, preach for them on Sunday, but then also be very, aware of this person as a human being yeah. as a husband as a as a dad and try to invest there too mm -hmm. without being really noticed that that's really what i'm doing well well i'm going to make it above ground in saying that uh reed you have done that with with us you've done that with the bonhoeffer house you've done that with with guys in our network and uh we've seen it we've seen it that's why we wanted to have you on that's why i want to pick your brain about these things hey i got one more question before we move on to our lightning round mm. Uh, t tell me, uh, so I wanted to know what like a normal week looks like for you, but that's, that's kind of hard for you to answer. I would assume. Well, it's hard today, especially yeah. because it's a little different season that we're living in because so, we're on lockdown and all right. my events got canceled right. and we're, we're looking to the fall, but I'm a huge believer in schedules and calendars and block calendar all over and organizing your place. Yeah. There's yeah. like whiteboard <laughs> calendars yeah. and. Yeah, my wife does, she likes the analog world, so she's got a whiteboard with each color for each five of us in our family and where we are, what we're doing, and she keeps track of everybody together. Actually, her and Kayla, Kayla's very, she's got a great event planner in her mm. that's not hidden, um, so they, they do that. I'm a digital guy, so I, I deal with scheduling things, and so... Um, typically, um, I block calendar my weeks. Um, I did this when I was a pastor so that I could do the central nature of my calling and role as a pastor well each week and then have some flexibility and margin time to respond to that, the dynamic issues of life. Now as a kind of a parachurch entrepreneur, um, I have to schedule my time because if I don't work, I don't work, right? right it's like right. I, I get up and have to determine my schedule. And so Mondays are typically more uh, administrative and coaching. So I do coaching calls on Monday and I do administrative type stuff on Mondays. Tuesday, I like to study and do more research on talks or writing or yeah. podcasts or blogs or something. Wednesday, we do podcast recording and production. We you know do you have to do all the stuff from top to bottom on that. Um, Thursday's my Acts 29 day, heavy, heavy, heavy. I like to see if I can get it all done in a day. Sometimes I'll do some of that on Friday. So Thursday, Friday, 
Um, and then Fridays, if I'm traveling, if I'm doing weekend events, I'm on airplanes and, and going into things over the weekend and things like that. Mm. And my kids play a lot of soccer, man. So we, on weekends, we, we're pretty committed to yeah. being there for them. And, and so that's a big part of our life. What used to be, of course, they're not playing right, right. now. So, yeah. And then, uh, so... So when you're keeping, when you're blocking your calendar, what kind of tools are you using? You know, um, you Google calendar guy. Yeah. I mean, Google calendar is where it all lives. Um, I use an iOS app called calendars five by a company called Riedel. Um, calendars five. Yeah. Mainly because it gives me this view. Oh, that's this, pretty this draggable seven day week kind of view thing. And so I like that a lot. It just pulls my Google calendar and posts. It has access to it. So re, re calendars five. Uh, they have a email uh, product I use called Spark as well. Spark email okay. on iOS is what what I use for that, which I think is excellent. Um, so you use Spark rather than just your Gmail app? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just that's like for it. losers. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if people like the Gmail app, I'm sure. It's I mean, for I winners. use it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you use it, Michael? Do you just use the I Gmail just app? I use Gmail, yeah. Yeah, we're you, losers. You could use yeah. the built-in thing, or do you have Android phone or an iPhone? iPhone. Well, you could use, use the mail oh, app. That's, that's, now yeah. that's for losers. Yeah, yeah. 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 Except <laughs> for if you're listening and you use that, you're like, not a loser. Yeah, like yeah. I think my daughter Kylene uses Kylene that. is yeah. definitely not a loser. Kayla uses <laughs> Outlook for iOS. She's oh, really wow, that's that. buttoned up. I've tried to switch that. It's actually really good. It was really good iOS apps that purchased by Microsoft and turned into a really good iOS app. And and then how do you sync those up with your... Your your watch. You've, I see you've got you've got a fancy Apple Watch. It's all synced together and works uh, delightfully. You know everything's in the cloud now, so these are these applications are are interfaces that are different. They mm. suck data out of Google's servers or whatever. So, but yeah, I block calendar there, and I like to see it. I'm visual on the calendar, so I like to see. I don't look at an agenda view, a long list of stuff. I look at a whole week, so time exists in space. And and I'm really a little weird with calendars in the sense that I actually record my actual day because you want to look back. Maybe some see. of you guys do everything you intend to do on a certain day, but sometimes my days get messed up, switched up. Or so I when do, do you do else. that? At, yeah. the, at the end of the day, as you it say, happens, if I do something I didn't. Yeah, I actually correct my in, calendar. In the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throughout the, the day, I correct my calendar. So I can look back, see what I did. It's a little bit of accountability, too. It's yeah. like, what am I doing with myself? And then know? that way, if anybody asks you, yeah. what did you do? Yeah. You just, well, yeah. This, is, this is what I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, you. when I was transitioning out of Jacob's Well, yeah. I was asked what I was doing over the course of a week. I just sent it to him. <laughs> this is everything I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's a prop. My wife doesn't appreciate it sometimes. She thinks it's weird. <laughs> What are you doing out there, Reed? Yeah. Oh, just uh, fixing my calendar. Fixing my calendar. Make, make sure it shows that I <laughs> wasted time. Uh, this block is what I like to call yeah. wasted time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Jesse's yeah. Jesse's would probably include like going going to get Snickers. Yeah. Snickers run. Snickers, no, it would be, um, it would be a, well, yes. <laughs> or like yesterday, pick up a your pie and go to the UPS store. Did you that, that for in a, your calendar? Yeah, it's in my calendar. Oh, that's amazing. That yesterday amazing. afternoon. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I don't think I could bear to see it if I, if I logged everything. Yeah, that's like, wow, that's what I gave my life to this week. Yeah, that is pretty humbling. That's a lot of Snickers runs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, yes. let's go to lightning round. Yeah. Lightning round. We like to end our times here, Reed, with a uh, with a lightning round. We're just going to fire off some questions, and we want you to answer them quickly. All right? First question. Is there anyone in the entire New River Valley that you could... Now, there's about 100,000 people in the New River Valley. <laughs> Is there anyone in the New River Valley you could not take in a wrestling match? Yes, there are many because Virginia Tech is a top 10 Division One wrestling program. I have two guys on the Gospel Underground next week that could both take me. Ooh. One was in the Olympics. Okay. Um, but outside of that program, probably we're, very few. We're talking double digits for sure, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Don't, yeah, most of those guys are young, strong, and I'm, I'm getting old. Second question. If Michael and I came at you right now, could you take both of us at once? Uh, no, but yes. I could take you individually and then finish off the other one. <laughs> I don't like the I don't like the idea of finish off. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm assuming <laughs> while I'm taking care of the first one, someone would be buzzing around my legs or trying to do something. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So it's finish like one, then take care of the, the other just one. Gnats. We're just little <laughs> swatting you away. He would push one of us out the, out the door of the shed quarters. <laughs> Come back when Pin. I finish this one off. <laughs> All right, all right. If you could spend one day with any leader in history, aside from Jesus, who would you choose? 
probably Nelson Mandela and or Teddy Roosevelt um, because Ooh. I find them very interesting uh, people. Interesting. What would you do if you had a day? Let's say, we'll grant you both of them. You've got a day. You've got Nelson and Teddy together. <laughs> yeah. What do you do for a day with them? Cure, cure Roosevelt of his jingoism and white man's burden ideas, hopefully, to show but him. You can do uh, that the first half of the day. So yeah, where yeah. is he? Is he at? The, the Roosevelt estate? Like, does he get to hang <laughs> out with Bay. all his animals? Just make it up yeah. wherever you want to be. Um, I, I find Mandela fascinating for courage and perseverance under harsh circumstances and then coming out with gracious, competent mm. leadership in a powerful way. And then Roosevelt is just a, was a wild man. And I just, yes. I love that about him. Uh, he, he had some flaws that were indicative of his time for sure. Uh, but just a little bit of a crazy guy. want to get his face dirty and go, go at it in life. And I, I really appreciate that, that as well great great okay so uh what's the book that you've given the most as a gift hey where is god in a coronavirus world lately that because <laughs> you ordered like 25 yeah. copies of yeah that. yeah yeah and before that i was given out the can science answer every explain everything book by john lennox both by john lennox over the years probably prodigal god uh by, by tim, tim keller. keller we gave that to every new person that, that may be the church. second that's the second prodigal god mentioned for that answer hey uh, uh didn't pete shim last week i mention? think pete said freedom of self-forgetfulness you're right uh, that's still little, tim keller yeah you're right and both excellent. Both good books. We yeah. we found yeah. Prodigal God could be given equally effectively to a Christian and a non-Christian visiting sure. our church. Both would get some out of it. So sure, good. And if you want, if you want to listen to a quick reviewish and and engage with uh, Linux's book, uh, Where's God in a Coronavirus World? Uh, you could swap on over to the Gospel Underground this week, where oh. uh, Reed does a little reviewish and uh, and really we engage with the ideas. Some of the ideas in that book, in that book. Yeah, a lot of that. A little cross uh, cross promotion, We're cross cross promoting right is, now. Reed is John Lennox your favorite person? Recently, yes, and and our my John Lennox love has been engaged with my sixteen year old Kyleen, who's a very scientific, mathematically minded person who yeah. who actually thinks we think like him. And so he speaks to us, yeah. So and he's kind of an old Irish uncle too, and I and I'm very Irish proud. So lately, John Lennox has been huge uh, for us. And and he he's a professor of he's re, uh, he's emeritus, so he's retired of mathematics at Oxford. Oxford. And I mentioned this in the Gospel Underground podcast, but I I'm I read recently that he was one of the last classes of students that C.S. Lewis had. No way. Way. Oh, yeah, I, and, and, I already and, liked him, yeah, but now, yeah, now you'd love him. That just bumped it up. Yeah, and yeah. persevered through a scientific uh, academic discipline at the highest level with pressure to give up his faith, but did not. Wow. Cool. Wow. Wow. Okay. What is something under $100 that every leader should own? A Bible. What is uh, That's a great answer. <laughs> Ding, First, ding, ding. <laughs> finally, someone's won, won the game. Uh, how about under $500? Uh, an, uh, an iPhone or an iPad. Good, good. Okay, what's the worst? With a Bible on it. Ooh. What's Double the worst, Bible. worst advice you regularly hear given to leaders? Um, build your platform. Uh, mm. Grow your influence. Good, good. Yes, don't do that. We need more questions. Reed's really good at he's, this. He's, <laughs> Well, you know, we'll have him back on. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get unstuck? Oh, that means like when you get in a funk in life. Yeah, you get and, a funk. Well, let's just say like productivity wise, you're you're uh, out there and you realize um, this is not going to look good on my calendar. Or like if someone's got you pinned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to get unstuck. Everything, yeah. No. Once you're stuck in wrestling, you can't get unstuck. Um, do you have in, any tricks, in, like breakthrough in, tricks? Well, in productivity in life and work, I think for me. Um, this is a misapplication of a biblical text. Um, return to your first love. This is in Revelation about Jesus, right? We're speaking to the church. I think of maybe a Laodicea or Ephesus. I don't know which one. Maybe you guys do. Um, but return to your first love or do what you did at first. Yeah. Um, so for me, I have to revisit to people people and things that speak to my heart in a certain way. So like John Lennox books or uh, William Lane Craig podcast or those kind of things, uh, listening to scripture, those kind of things help me mm. in terms of vocational stuckness. I get inspired, I guess, yeah, by, yeah. by that kind of thing. Uh, get unstuck in life. Um, burdening my wife uh, with my uh, funky, yeah. funky low states. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I one of those things when I get at the end of life, I, I'll never be able to thank or repay Casey is that she puts up with my ups and downs and mm. sees my funks and uh, hard times, probably has to over-function because of it. 
And uh, she loves me in that. And that's, amen. it's a burden to her, but it sustains me. Amen. Amen. Last question, Reed. What advice do you have for leaders regarding their family life? So imagine you're speaking to leaders right now. Yeah. You, you do a great job. You're not perfect, yeah. Yeah. but you do a great job uh, investing in your family. So what, give, give some advice regarding family life. Um, for, for families and leaders, I would say give the same amount of love, energy, emotion, creativity that you would to anything outside, because if this is guys, particularly men, uh, that you would give it work, why not give that at home? Mm. Um, you'll, you only have one go around with your children in your home. Why not invest there strategically, energetically, joyfully? Uh, there is a wonderful blessing in return. We don't do it for that because the outcomes are uncertain. We don't know whether which way our kids are going to go in life. They're human beings, not automatons. Uh, but I've, I've, you know, people say, "How are the teenage years? Teenage years have been the best years of our parenting because we have peers." Uh, who love us, mm. who minister to us. One of them edits my blogs, uh, and it's just a delight. So delight yourself in the Lord, and then give yourself to your family and, and be present because there's a blessing to be had there. Amen. Man, I am, I'm looking forward to having teenage kids now. Yes, yes. You did That's something right. to me in this moment. Yeah. You're inspired. There's I'm so inspired. much. There's so much fear or negativity. Like, oh, dude, teenagers. teenagers. I mean, we get our eye rolls and we get smart mouthed and all that. It's look, we didn't live in a utopia. But I tell you what, man, yeah. I, I love. Like right now, we're doing three times a week. Something we call family focus time. Tommy branded it FFT, which we've made up a bunch of FFTs that I'll tell you guys off air. Um, <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an hour, we study the Psalms, we pray for each other, and we uh, enjoy. And yeah. the, and now there's this cross ministry I receive as yeah. much as I give. Yeah. You doing that in the night nighttime? Like we switched dinner? to night because Kylene was we were doing morning. Yeah, but we switched to five p.m. right now because okay. Kylene had a lot of morning school Zoom stuff happening and things like that. So, Reed, how much trial and error is involved in in <laughs> your you know t- you're talking about be be thoughtful, be creative, be intentional. So I just am curious how much trial and error was there for you and Casey? Uh, yeah, you just a lot because every day you try, you try stuff and stuff sticks and you communicate, you're trying to connect and communicate to little people. So, but I do have a 40 page white paper on family worship that we give away for free at powerofchange.org for those who are interested. We'll show, notes. Yeah. Show, notes, show notes. Thank you, Reed, for joining us from this safe and responsible six foot triangle in the shed quarters. Thank you, Michael. As always, co-hosting. Hey, and we're gonna, you know, if you if you were interested today, hop over to the Gospel Underground podcast. Hop over the power to the Power of Change website. We'll link to a bunch of that in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in to the Hammer and Quill episode six, an interview with Reed Monahan. Tune in next week. We we interview Dr. Walter Strickland about his work as the as a, a vice president of Kingdom Diversity at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. It'll be fun to have Walter on the podcast. We'll ask him all kinds of questions about his calling and his vocation, and what he's doing down there. Uh, please subscribe, review us on iTunes. Well done. Throw yep, not YouTube. iTunes. Throw some five star reviews our way. Until next time. Peace. Peace.